If you have your Bibles, would you go ahead and open them to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, that's page 944 uh, in the Pew Bible in front of you if you need it. Romans chapter 8. For those of you who are guests this morning, uh, my name is Andrew Bates. I'm the family pastor here. Uh, pastor Justin is out of town uh, working on some another degree uh, so that he can better serve us as our pastor, and I am excited to be able to serve you by opening the Word with you this morning. So let's begin by reading Romans chapter 8, and we're going to read verses 1 through 11. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do, by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your moral bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. Let's open up with a word of prayer. Father, we need you this morning. We pray that your spirit would work in our hearts, that he would illuminate your word to us, that he would teach us, or that we may be able to rest in him this morning. We praise you for this opportunity to learn and grow. May we change our lives in accordance to your word this morning. And it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Have you ever been frustrated by your walk with Christ? Have you ever looked around and it seems that so many other Christians have this joy, this excitement about them and their walk with Christ, this freedom to serve God as they desire, but you reflect on your own life and you feel somewhat unequipped, not quite able to figure it all out, how to have this joy, how to have this excitement, how to have this freedom to become a strong, joyful, committed follower of Jesus. So... And, and a goal to do this, you create some ways to accomplish this. Maybe you're the, the hyper-organized person. You're the, you're the list setter. Uh, so you've created a spiritual to-do list in your life, if you will. And on this to-do list, uh, you, you set everything you believe you need to do in a day, maybe in a week, to have this spiritual excitement, this spiritual joy. But you find it difficult to cons- remain consistent with this list. At times, you're able to complete it, and other times, you just feel like a failure because you're unable to check everything off for that day or that week, making you feel like a subpar Christian. 
those moments that you do finish the list. What does that mean for you? Are you proud of your accomplishments that week? That you were able to check off everything that then makes you spiritual? Are you now a spiritual giant that everyone should follow? Should we all follow your list that's helped you become holy that week or that day? Maybe you're not a list taker. Maybe you're more the, you know what, I, I do the best I can and just kind of forget the rest. God understands we live a busy life, right? I read the Bible when I can. I pray all the time. That one's an easy one, right? People can't see you doing that. I pray all the time. I'm pretty busy. I'm here at church, definitely as much as the rest, but come on, no one's perfect. We all mess up. I'm just kind of plugging away, taking it one day at a time. Yet, there are times you look around and you see others and you, you have to wonder, is there more I should be doing? Should I, should I take it or view this Christian life slightly differently than I am? Should I create the list? Maybe that would help me out a little bit, but that's too much work for you. So let's just keep on plugging away and taking it a day at a time. And you know what? God understands. The reality is this is true of many Christians today. But how, how are we to live our lives? What makes our life successful as followers of Jesus? We read Romans chapter 8, and we can't just dive right into Romans chapter 8, right? We have to figure out how we got to now, therefore, there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. In Romans chapter 1, Paul unfolds God's plan of salvation, his plan of redemption for us. And in chapter 1, verse 16 and 17, he explains to us that salvation comes to us by faith alone in Jesus Christ. And then he says that those that are righteous will live by faith. The remainder of chapter 1 all the way through chapter 3, Paul sets up our need for rescue, our need for this gospel, our need for salvation. He says that we've all rebelled against a righteous God and we're under his wrath. We come to his transition statement in Romans 3, 21, and Paul begins to give hope to the lost rebel. Though all have sinned, all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, we know that the once condemned sinner can be justified, declared righteous, free from all condemnation by God's grace, a gift that God has given us through faith in him. And then as we conclude chapter 5 and get to chapter 6 and 7, Paul begins to explain how the Christian life should be lived out. In chapter 6, he talks about sin. He says, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? In other words, can can I just keep plugging away? We all sin, we all mess up, but God is a God of grace. It's okay. And he he condemns that act of living. And then he goes to chapter 7 and he says, the law can't save you. The law can't make you righteous. You can't live according to a checklist. It's not going to make you holy if you complete everything on it. So Paul warns us in 6 and 7 to veer away from these extremes. The extreme of, I'm under grace, I'm free to live however I want. And the other extreme of, I can create these rules and these laws, even many of them from the Bible, and as a result of keeping these laws and these rules, I am now holy. My family is holy. We are different from you because we keep these. As we come to Romans chapter 8, Paul paints a contrast for us between the weakness and the inability of the law, and the life, and the, and the living a life in the power of the Holy Spirit. Through the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit transfer, transfers us 
from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light into a new reality to be enjoyed in him. We're in the middle of our series entitled Knowing God. And three weeks ago, Pastor Justin introduced us to the Godhead and all of its beauty and all of its splendor. In that message, we realized we can't fully comprehend all of who God is. He's too great. He's too grand for us. But what we did see and what we can clearly understand is that God is one God. And though he exists in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, he is still one. Each one with distinguishable characteristics from the other, yet they all somehow function together. And we're going to see that here in Romans chapter 8 as Paul references each member of the Trinity playing a part in our own salvation. Last week, Adam preached from Revelation and unfolded for us God the Father who sits on his throne and the angels cry out day and night, holy, holy, holy. This morning, we're going to see three realities that the Holy Spirit provides for every Christian. Three realities that the Holy Spirit provides for every Christian. In verses 1 through 4, we see a new freedom. In verses 5 through 8, a new mindset. And then in verses 9 through 11, a new power. So the Spirit is going to provide for us, as followers of Him, a new freedom, a new mindset, and a new power to live successful Christian lives in Him, in His power, not the power of ourselves. So let's take a look at verse 8 and see this new freedom that the Holy Spirit gives us. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Paul now is going to sum up the benefit of the gospel for us. What it means that the gospel has been applied to us is that we are not under condemnation any longer. This word condemnation is interesting because you don't find this word condemnation anywhere in the entire New Testament other than here in Romans chapter 5, verse 16 and 18. In Romans 5, 16 and 18, we learn that this condemnation came as a result of one man's trespass, one man's sin. We know that to be Adam. Because Adam sinned, his sin was then passed down to all of mankind, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, bringing us under the condemnation and the wrath of a holy, righteous God. We're all condemned. We're all guilty. We're guilty. We have a guilty verdict on us from God the judge. But notice that this freedom from sin's penalty is reserved for a very specific group of people. Not everyone in the world is not condemned. Many are still under God's condemnation, his wrath. Only those that are in God, only those that believe in God, no, only, only those that are faithful to his church, only those that keep the law and his commandments, only those that do their very best to live for him. No, only those that are in Christ Jesus, positionally in Christ. The gospel brings us into a new reality, a new position. Once, okay, I'm going to create two realities for us here this morning. Once, we are dead in our trespasses and sins, right here, under condemnation. But because of Christ, we are brought into this new reality, a new position. We are in Christ. And when we are in Christ, we are no longer under the condemnation of the Heavenly Father. We've been transferred. But how do we 
get there. We know that we, we get there through faith and trust in Christ alone. But how do we actually manage who brought us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light? And this is where Paul helps us in verse 2. Look at verse 2. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. At the moment of salvation, it is the Holy Spirit that brings us into the kingdom of Christ. We are brought into this new reality by the Spirit of God. You could say that the Holy Spirit applies the benefits of Christ's death to us. The Spirit ushers us into this new life free from condemnation. But not only are we free from condemnation, that is, the penalty of sin. The Spirit frees us from the penalty of sin, but the Spirit also frees us from the control of sin. Look at verse 2 one more time. He references the law, the law of the Spirit, and then he says the law of sin. What does he mean by the law of the Spirit and the law of sin? Most of the time when we think of the, the word law, we automatically attach it to the moral law. God's written law, the law by which God is going to hold everyone accountable, if you will. This is the law that puts us under condemnation. When God gave the law, we realized that we could not keep the law in and of ourselves. But then there's another way you can use the word law, and that's in reference to a principle or a power or a, a control. And that's the way Paul is using it here. He says there's two authorities at work here. The authority, the power, and the control of the Spirit. And the authority and the power and control of sin, which leads to death. So the control, in verse 2, of the Spirit leads to life. And the control of sin leads to death. Those whom the Spirit has placed in Christ are no longer under the control, the dominance, the enslavement of sin. We have been free. We have a new freedom because the Spirit, because the Spirit through Christ has placed us in Christ because of what Christ did on the cross for us. Verse 3 and 4 continue to expand on this truth and give us more clarity of how the Spirit gives us freedom from the control of sin. So notice this as we read verses 3 and 4, notice Paul's use of each member of the Trinity in our salvation here. Oftentimes when we talk about the gospel, we talk about salvation, our focus is on the Son. Rightfully so. He's the one that took on flesh, as we'll see in these verses, who died for us. And it is in him that we place our faith and trust. But watch how Paul uses each member of the Godhead as we read these verses. For God, that's the Father, has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son, that's Jesus, In the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Holy Spirit. Once again, we see Paul using this word law. But now, he's moved out of the idea of the law as a principle or authority, but as the law of God's written law, the moral law. God the Father has done what the written law, the moral law, could not do. What is that? Save us. The moral law can't save us. God's written law cannot save us in and of itself. 
Why not? Was the, was the law at fault? Did God not give us good enough rules to follow throughout the Old Testament that we could not be justified through them? No. Look, look what happened. It says, the law has been weakened by the flesh. See, God sends a perfect law to his people, but the problem is we are fallen. We are sinful. We are wrapped in flesh that is by nature against God. And we cannot take anything perfect and keep it perfect and maintain it perfectly. There's nothing we can do. No matter how hard we try, we can't keep God's law perfectly. So as a result, God the Father did something. He sent his son. This is the beauty of the gospel. He sent his son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. Paul's, it's interesting that Paul says in the likeness of sinful flesh. He's balancing the, this line of God's perfect deity, Jesus' perfect deity, and Jesus' humanity. He did not say that Jesus came in sinful flesh, as if to say that Jesus took on sin when he became a human being like the rest of us. He's saying he came in the likeness of our flesh. When you saw Jesus, he looked like us. But yet, he was completely, fully still God. So he came in the likeness of sinful flesh so that he could die for sinful flesh. Hebrews 4, 14 through 15 says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, like sinful flesh yet without sin. God sent his son Christ to take on and wrap himself in the likeness of flesh, yet he did so perfectly without sin, still able to take our sacrifice, our punishment, since we were under God's wrath, so that he could condemn sin in the flesh. So why did Christ have to do this? Why do you have to leave his throne and die this horrific death for us? Verse 4, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. What's happening here is the, the Spirit of God is applying Jesus' finished on work on the cross to our lives to free us from the control and the dominance of sin because the law couldn't do it. We could not keep the righteous requirements of the law. We had to have a substitute. We had to have a perfect substitute in Christ Jesus do it for us. So as a result, because of Christ's death, the Spirit then imputes and puts inside of us the righteousness of Christ. So Christian, you are free from sin this morning because of Jesus Christ. His righteousness has been imputed inside of you. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We hear this of this freedom and this is exciting for us to understand that followers of Jesus are not under God's condemnation or wrath any longer. But we've been freed from the penalty of sin. Not only that, we're freed from the bondage of sin. But if you sit here this morning and you think about that and let that settle in, if you're like me, you're left to look around the room 
and wonder, wait a second, I still struggle with sin. Is there any one of us in this room that don't battle sin each and every day? If we are truly free from this bondage of sin, why such the struggle? If you have an opportunity this afternoon, read Romans chapter 7. You'll, you'll hear Paul's very real and raw struggle with sin and his battle against it and his battle for holiness and righteousness and Christian living. But it's on the heels of chapter 7 that Paul writes this freedom in chapter 8. What we see is that during this life, no matter how close you get with God, no matter how much you desire Him, how much time you spend with Him, how much you are sanctified like Him, you will never be free from this body of flesh. This sinful nature that is inside of us, though we are freed from its bondage and no longer subjected to it, no longer slaves, we're still wrapped in it. So it's a battle, it's a fight. But notice what verse 4 says, that true believers walk not according to the flesh, but walk according to the Spirit. Our walk, our lifestyle, our daily habits, our routines. Are your daily habits and routines characterized by the Spirit? Or your daily habits, your walk, your routines characterized by the flesh, by the sinful nature by what the world lives for and lives by. One commentator said, as far as a Christian life is concerned, everything that is a spiritual reality is also our spiritual responsibility. I'm going to say that one more time. Everything that is a spiritual reality is also a spiritual responsibility. Here's, here's what that means. As Christians, you are in the Spirit. Because of what Christ has done for you, the Spirit has moved you from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. You are in Christ. You are in the Spirit. But we're also called to what? Not walk according to the flesh, but walk according to the Spirit. See our responsibility there? We're called to walk that way. As a Christian, the Holy Spirit promises that He will, God the Spirit, will produce spiritual fruit in your life. But then we also see throughout Scripture that we're commanded and admonished to bear good fruit. All these truths and many more we could keep going are just part of an amazing and seemingly paradoxical tension between God's sovereign will and control in our lives and our responsibility to be obedient to that will and that control. But let's be clear. Paul is laying out for us our understanding that we cannot fulfill any part of God's law without first being in Christ Jesus. This is the grounds, the basis of our freedom. But once we have the Spirit, we are called to follow Him. So the question for us this morning is this, do you recognize your freedom? Are you still living in this mindset and this reality of bondage, of sin? As a Christian, as a believer, do you understand that you have been freed by the Holy Spirit from sin's condemnation, its penalty, but also been freed from its control in your life, you don't have to say yes because you have the Spirit inside of you. Are you walking in step with the Spirit, pursuing the spiritual reality that you've been made, made free to live inside? So first, the first reality of a Spirit-filled life is that the Holy Spirit has provided you and I, all believers, a new freedom. 
Second, in verses 5 through 8, the Holy Spirit provides the believer with a new mindset. A new mindset. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Paul, once again, shows us that there's only two realities in this world. Every one of us in this room are either living life in the flesh. Here we are over here again. In the flesh, in con- under God's condemnation and his wrath. Or, and this is how your mind thinks, this is your mindset, or you are living life in the spirit. This is your mindset. This is how you think. There, there's only two ways to live. There's, there's nothing in the middle. We're either in the flesh or we're in the spirit. So how do we identify which realm we're actually living in? How can you tell if you're still in the flesh? Or if you've been set free and you've been given this new mindset, that's what it is. It's our mindset that shows us and reveals us that we're in the spirit. So what does is, what is a mind that is set in the flesh look like? Keep your place in Romans chapter 8 and turn with me to Galatians chapter 5. Very popular passage, especially the latter half where we see the fruits of the spirit. But before we get to the fruit of the Spirit, which we're going to read as well, in verse 19, in verse 19, he tells us exactly what the minds of the flesh looks like. Beginning in verse 19 of Galatians chapter 5. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Oh, that was easy. The works of the flesh. The minds of the flesh is clear. It's evident. Sexual immorality impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies. And then what does he say? And everything like it. And all of these things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. They won't inherit the kingdom of God because they don't have the mind of the Spirit. They're they're walking in the flesh. Someone who has the mind of the Spirit is not walking in those things. It is not their their mindset. It is not their focus. It's not what consumes them. This is not an extensive list by any means. He even referenced it here. But yet, it certainly does give us an understanding of what a fleshly mindset looks like. The mind that is set on the flesh is the mind that is set on this earth and in this world. We could hand out pieces of paper this morning and we could all probably write endlessly thoughts, actions, and attitudes that are fleshly, that don't align with the Spirit of God. But if you continue reading Galatians, I hope you're still there. If you continue reading Galatians, he then says, but the fruit of the Spirit is... Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against, against such these there is no law. And those who belong to Christ, those who are in Christ, have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. And if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. What consumes your thoughts? 
reveals your very nature. What consumes your thoughts reveals your very nature, the nature that is inside of you. Your nature is either that of the flesh or it's that of the spirit. Notice that Paul, there's no exhortations here in these verses. Paul is not exhorting us to change our thinking. That's not the answer. You can change your thinking and your lifestyle all you want, but it's not going to put you in, in Christ. Trying to live according to the law, trying to do what's right, is not going to justify you. It's impossible because this is descriptive of our nature. It's descriptive of someone who is living according to the flesh. In other words, people aren't the way they are because they think this way. We think the way we do because that is who we are by our very nature. Our thinking reveals our nature. And it's either been changed by Christ through the Holy Spirit or we're still in the flesh. The English abolitionist William Wilberforce, a strong Christian man, had tried unsuccessfully to get his friend, William Pitt, the Prime Minister of England, to go and hear the great British preacher Richard Cecil. Pitt would have been identified today as a nominal Christian, a church member, someone who believed in God but didn't do much outside of that. He did what he could. Wilberforce thought that the preaching of Richard Cecil might awaken something inside of him. So finally, agreeing to go with Wilberforce, Pitt attended Cecil's preaching service, where the two sat under a powerful and wonderful presentation of the truths of God. Wilberforce was sure that that his friend Pitt would sense the truth and embrace it wholeheartedly. But as they left the service, Pitt turned to Wilberforce and said, You know, my friend, I have not the slightest idea what that man has been talking about. Wilberforce then realized clearly that Pitt was as deaf to God as if he were physically a dead man. 2 Corinthians 2.14 says, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. He is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Apart from the Spirit of God that comes through the Son of God, it is impossible for us to please God. We have to have the Spirit of God residing in us and us in him to please our Father, to change our very nature and who we are. Notice the result of having your mind that's set on the flesh versus the Spirit. They couldn't be farther apart. One, if you set your mind on the flesh, it's death. Under God's condemnation, separated from Him. Those that are in the Spirit are given life and peace. The Spirit, throughout all of Scripture, always brings life. He always brings peace. He always brings us into reconciliation with our Heavenly Father. Those that, are in Christ, those that are in the flesh are deserving of death because they're not just simply disliking God here. Paul says that they are hostile to God. They are enemies of God. There, there's no neutrality here. This is a deep-seated animosity against him and his kingdom and his will.
I think it's clear for us this morning that those that are in Christ, that have the Spirit, have been given a new mindset. Those that are in, in the flesh, Paul says, not only do they not submit to God's law, they cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. If you are in Christ this morning, believer, you can please God. You can obey God, not because of your own power, not because of your own strength, not because of your own righteousness, but because we have the righteousness of Christ dwelling inside of us. And it is through his righteousness that we have been freed. It is through his righteousness that we've been given a new mindset, a mind that can be set on spiritual things. So what consumes your thoughts? What's the focus of your life? Are you preoccupied with goals, ambitions, appetites, and desires of the flesh of this world? Is that where your mindset is and what you're living for? Or is your mind set on godliness and, and holiness? Do you desire to live a fruitful life because of the gospel of Jesus Christ? And because the Spirit is in you. So God has provided every believer a new freedom from the condemnation of sin, from the penalty of sin, from the control of sin, a new mindset. And finally, the Spirit gives the believer a new power, verses 9 through 11. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give you life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So Paul makes this transition into verse 9, and he's now speaking directly to the Roman Christians. He says, you, however... You are not like we just described. Your mind is not set on the flesh. You are in the Spirit because your, your mind is there. You're walking with the Spirit. The evidence, oh watch, the evidence of not being in the flesh, another evidence, is that the Spirit dwells, he says, dwells inside of you. Now, for most of you, you're thinking, well, yeah, isn't that what we've been talking about this whole time? The Spirit dwelling inside of us? It actually isn't, because if you go back and you look at verse 1 and 2, it's, it, it says that the Spirit is placed in us. In verse 4, we walk according... No, sorry, we are placed in the Spirit. In verse 2, we are placed in the Spirit. In verse 4, we walk according to the Spirit. In verse 5, we live according to the Spirit by setting our minds on the Spirit. It's only here till we get to verse 9 and 10 that now we see that the evidence of a believer is that the Spirit is dwelling inside of us. The Spirit of God dwells in us. The word dwells is a dwelling place. It's a home. God has set up residency, his home inside of you, if you are a follower of him. And if you don't have the Spirit of God inside of you, you don't belong to God. The Spirit is an evidence of us being in Him. 
In verse 10, our dead bodies are contrasted with life and power given by the Spirit. It says, but if Christ is in you, better translated, since Christ is in you, since Christ is in you, although your body is dead because of sin, so we reference to our first point because we're wrapped in this body of flesh, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. We are wrapped in this body of death. And before Christ, before the Spirit, we were dead on the inside and dead on the outside. We are dead in our trespasses and sins. Unable to respond to anything spiritual, to anything godly, to please God. And although our outside of our bodies is still dead, and decaying, and dying, and balding, although all that is true, we have life inside of us. The Spirit gives us life because of His righteousness. Because of Christ's righteousness. He has imputed Christ's righteousness on our behalf. And with that comes his power, comes his mindset, comes this freedom that though we're dead, we have been made alive and we have been made alive to live for him. He even references this power and he says the power that's inside of you is the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. The same power that raised our Savior that died for our sins is now living inside of all those who turn from their sins and place their faith and trust in him. Even one day our dead bodies will be raised the same way that our Savior's was. Does this not give you some joy as a follower of Jesus? You are no longer under the control of sin. You have God himself living inside of you. He's giving you his power so that you are now able to live for him. You weren't before, but you are now. All of us here this morning when we were born, we were born into a world, into this world, under the power, under the control of sin. In human flesh. We were dead on the inside and the outside. But for some of us, we have been made alive. We've been saved from this rule of sin through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And at the moment of salvation, the Holy Spirit transferred us into a new reality. He transferred us into Christ. He gave us the ability to enjoy this life and live this life through the power of the Spirit and not our own. Unbeliever this morning, if you have yet to turn from your sins and place your faith and trust in Christ, it is impossible for you to enjoy this reality. You do not have hope. You do not have peace. You are under condemnation because your very nature is against our Heavenly Father who is holy and righteous and perfect. And, And though you may desire at times to do good things, and want to be free from this condemnation, and do your very best, and you maybe even go to church and read your Bible, and you pray, you're still under condemnation because it is your very nature. You are set against God. In order to experience this freedom, this new mindset, the power that we enjoy as believers, you must turn from your sins and place your faith and trust in Christ. And if you have questions about that this morning, please talk to another church member here that you might know or any one of the pastors, again, we'd love to walk you through that, explain to you how you can become 
a child of the king and into the kingdom of the spirit, the reality of the spirit for us as Christians. Is this where you're living your life? Is this where you, is the spirit of God where your mindset is, where you're walking, what you're pursuing? You have this freedom from sin. You know you do, but you still battle it. So guard your walk. Pursue Christ. Recognize that you have the Spirit of God in you, and you are not under condemnation anymore. You're free to live for Him. You've also been given a new mind. Take that mind of Christ that is in you and set it on the things of Him. Pursue gospel fruit. Ask the Spirit to give you a desire to be obedient to His Word. Follow Him. But don't do it in your own strength. In this new reality, you've been given the Spirit of God, the one that raised Jesus from the dead. Rely on Him through the reading of His Word, through prayer, through obedience to Him. As you begin to guard your walk and pursue gospel fruit, He promises to accomplish his work in you, to sanctify you, to make you holy, to make you like Jesus himself. And though we will not experience that here in this life, we will one day, because we are in Christ, experience a full bodily resurrection as Jesus did and be with him for eternity in heaven because we are no longer under condemnation. We've been given a new freedom. We've been given a new mind. We have the power of Christ living inside of us. Let's pray this morning. Heavenly Father, we praise you for your spirit. We're thankful that Jesus paid the price on the cross. and We're thankful that Jesus gave us his spirit, the spirit of God, to move us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. Lord, may we live in this new reality, not under bondage of sin any longer, to obey its passions, not under the law, to be perfect, but in the Spirit, empowered by the Spirit, led by the Spirit, guided by the Spirit. Lord, may we pursue you this week through your power and your strength. Sanctify us by your word this week, and we praise you for it. We praise you for who you are, that we live victorious Christian lives this week because we rest in you. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.